Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I'm so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Leslie Grossblatt. Leslie is COO and VP product for The Board List, a public benefit corporation working to increase corporate board performance through greater gender diversity. In this role, Leslie oversees development of the board list's board candidate discovery and recommendation platform, as well as overall direction of the board list's growth strategy and business model. Leslie has led product, innovation, and growth efforts at Netflix, Intuit, Alt School, Nextdoor, and Creative Live. She also holds multiple patents for software products. Leslie was recently named to Fast Company's 2017 Most Creative People in Business list and has been a featured speaker at Fast Company's Innovation Festival, the inaugural Women in Product Conference, the Girls' Lounge, and Intuit's Create the Offering and Design for Delight conferences. So welcome to the podcast, Leslie. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me, what is it about the board list that is such a a draw for you at this point in your career? You've worked for some major companies and obviously done some innovative and uh, amazing things. So tell us why this is important to you right now. Yeah, you know, I've been in technology now for about 18 years for quite a long time, and I've seen a lot of change over that time. And one of the things that I've realized as my career has gone on is that um, there's a lot of difference in in the way that women's careers in technology have progressed versus men's careers. Um you know, when I started and I was younger, both in my career and age-wise, I I was very idealistic and, and had this notion of, you know, this is a true meritocracy and whoever works the hardest, is the smartest or the best, they're going to rise to the top no matter what. And what I found over the years in my own career was that this was really not always the case and um, that there seemed to be a common thread with the women that um, were my peers in the different companies I worked with and, and that we were really being treated in a way that was very different than our male colleagues um, in very subtle ways, right? That, uh, that it was more challenging, for example, to get promoted, um, for women, and you know, I was around women who are amazingly talented, who had accomplished so much, and would still have a hard time getting a promotion. And one of the things that I started to observe is, wow, you know, these amazing talented women are not getting promoted, and they're getting told, well, 
you'll get a promotion once you start doing the job you want to be promoted for, but we don't see it yet. You're, you're not there yet. It was always the, the goal is still down the road and you haven't got there yet versus we would observe men who had similar career accomplishments getting promoted ahead of women. And a lot of times those men were getting promoted on a very different basis and we're being told very different things, which things like you've shown a lot of promise. Um, we, we think that your trajectory is great. And, you know, so we think that it's time for you to get a bigger challenge and to move into a role where you're going to have a bigger challenge, which is really different, you know, than what we were hearing as yeah, women. Absolutely. And for the earlier part of my career, you know, I, I didn't, I think I didn't really want to recognize that there was a difference based on gender, but after many companies and working with so many amazing, talented women and seeing this pattern over and over again, at some point it became pretty clear to me that there is a real problem um, of bias based on gender and, and different treatment based and standards based on your gender. And and so one of the awakenings that I had um, a few years ago in, in one, of, one of the jobs I had, it became very clear to me that um, we had a, a company where there were all of the men in the executive suite, except for the VP of HR, were all men. Right. And HR is always the look, we have a woman in senior yeah. management. It's always HR or communications or something like that. Right. Right. And and what was very striking was that the number two person to the to the executive in each department was a woman hmm. and a really accomplished, strong woman. And it was so it was it was so in our face, like, wow, yeah. there's just something really interesting going on here. And and why is that? And after having seen um, these women in the number two spot not getting promoted when the executive left um, and having having them passed over for people who, you know, I I perceived as less qualified. Um, it really, it really became, uh, that was my feminist awakening, I think, where I was always, you know, a pseudo feminist, like, yeah, girl power, we can do it. We're great. You know, I was a lawyer. I've worked in very male dominated fields. Um, technology is obviously very male dominated, but I think, I think in my forties, I became this very, I had this very strong feminist awakening. Um, and then it became a passion for me to really address this problem and raise awareness because I think for, for many years um, there, you know, we've been laboring under this delusion of a pure meritocracy when in fact, that's really not what's going on. Well, and do you think tech, tech is unusual in this situation? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you worked in other, other yeah. realms, but is it, is it unusual in some way? I don't, I don't think it's unusual. It's not the only industry that's like that by a long shot. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a lawyer before I went into politics and then technology. Um, and the legal field has many of the same issues. Um, 
the finance industry, same thing. And just general corporate America. Um, I think where we see where we see some differences are in areas like um, that are more, um, you know, women led and women driven that they created a different paradigm. Right. But in in traditional, most of the traditional industries and we're talking, you know, finance, law, um, manufacturing, these these are the realities of women working in these industries. And I don't I don't think it's an issue that's going away um, either. Over time, I, I had breakfast with uh, some friends yesterday morning and their 24 year old daughter was there. We were talking about the Me Too movement on Facebook and her uh, her mother asked her, um, have you ever been harassed in the workplace? And she said, of course I have. And I was so uh, I mean, in a part of me was like, yeah, I totally expected that answer. And then the other part of me is like, oh my goodness, like a whole new generation of women is saying, of course I have. Yes. And uh, I think there's a lot of room for shift there. So, I, so what is, what, what is the board list? What, what's your focus now in terms of having had that experience and um, how are you, how are you dealing with that? Because simply inserting people or, or trying to get women onto boards, how do you think that's really shifting things? If you can talk more about the broader mandate too. So what the board list does is a nut, in a nutshell is we are working to increase representation of women on corporate boards. So this is beyond technology okay. as an industry, just corporate boards in general. And the, the reason the board list exists, um, the main reason is there's a severe underrepresentation of women on corporate boards. Estimates, um, if you look at private companies and public companies, range anywhere from there's, you know, maybe 3% of board seats are held by women mm-hmm. to on the, on the more positive side, maybe, you know, 10%. Um, but it's a very, very low number. And there, what we what we see happen when there's a lack of representation of women in the highest leadership levels, and if you think about corporate boards, that's the highest leadership level in corporate America, right? Mm-hmm. That's guiding the company. That's the body that's hiring and firing the CEO, um, and that's setting the tone from the tops down. And if we have a lack of representation of women, then then I think there are numerous problems that arise, um, both real problems as far as not understanding, um, not understanding nuance or the different experiences, uh, that women bring to the table, um, that uh, there's a lack of diversity in thinking, um, that helps companies solve problems better. Um, and there's a total missed opportunity in a lot of ways from a, from a positive standpoint. If if you're a company that has the majority or vast majority of your customers and the people making purchasing decisions are women, how how much are you are you missing because you don't understand the experience of women? You don't have that perspective in the room. Mm-hmm. And and I think that. What is really important um, that we're 
focused on with the board list attacking boards because there's a problem of representation of women at all levels in corporate America, right? Mm-hmm. This is not unique to the boardroom. There's very low representation of women in executive positions, in senior management, in middle management. Um, the only place where we see that there's there's some uh, there's some more parity is in the very entry levels. But it's troubling that beyond the entry levels, the numbers drop off so precipitously and that this is a real issue, that there is a brain drain and a talent drain when women are leaking out of the talent pipeline. And what we're really trying to do with the board list and focusing on boards is having that representation in the room, one, to make sure that companies are are getting better, more informed and enlightened uh, leadership by having women and having diverse points of view represented in the boardroom, but that that's going to filter down into the choice of the company leadership, the CEO, the executive team, that it's going to set the expectation and the standard um, for the rest of the organization on down. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is really at the heart of the issue, because I know that, I mean, from an optic standpoint, yes, it looks good if you add a couple of more women to your board, but if you're not committed on a values level to what women can contribute and what they bring, then I think there's likely to not be a lot of movement. So I, I wonder if getting to the heart of what the issue is, is, is that part of what you're looking at at the board list? Absolutely. And our starting point with the board list was, okay, we have this goal around increasing gender diversity on boards. And we looked at the question, well, why aren't there more women? One of the excuses or reasons that's been proffered in the past is, well, there's not enough qualified women. Yeah. Well, so we took that and we said, okay, we don't think that that's true. And we went out and we found thousands of of women who were um, endorsed by, who were uh, who were vouched for by corporate leaders who have board experience. So we know it's not a problem of not enough people or a pipeline problem. So let's just put that um, question to the side for a second. Mm-hmm. What, we, what we really did was looked at, well, what is the decision-making process for when there is an open board seat, how does the decision get made about who gets considered or interviewed or hired for that board seat, right? Mm-hmm. So we did some in-depth um, customer research around that to use a product term, right? So we went to we we went to the source. We went to people who are on boards who have been in positions of of um, identifying candidates for board seats and interviewing them and deciding who's going to get on them. And we said, well, let's understand how your process works. How does the decision-making process work? And what we learned is the decision pro- the decision-making process starts with um, a CEO or a nominating committee chairperson, somebody uh, within this board that has an open board seat. And this CEO or board member will literally get on the phone. Um, most of them, some of them are more savvy and will use email, but they will, <laughs> out, they will pick up the phone. Like picture this, 
they will pick up the phone and they will call two or three of their most trusted peers, Mm -hmm. right? Other CEOs, other board chairs and say, Hey, you know, I have an opening on my board seat. Do you know anybody who might be good? That's the starting point. And what we, what we understood from that about the psychology of that decision is that the most important thing in that first step is having a recommendation from someone whose opinion you trust and value because boards are, you know, not everybody has served on a board, right? This is a complex thing, job, and it has very demanding. And and so you want to make sure that you are only going to be thinking about talking to people who are perceived as qualified to take on this very important, complex job, right? Mm-hmm. But the the problem is is that when we talk about reaching out to two or three of your most closest peers, those people usually look a lot like you do. Right. So if we have the majority of CEOs and board members are white men, the majority of their closest peers are also white men mm-hmm. of a certain level in their career, et cetera. And the people that those people not recommend are usually people who look like them too. Mm-hmm. So, Without a specific prompt, right? So I'm, I'm pretty confident that there is not an intention to exclude, right? There's nobody, I don't feel like there's a, a feeling of, no, let's not think about women, right? Mm-hmm. Or let's not think about minorities. I think, it's, I think it's because there's not a specific prompt or thought given to it, right? They're just going down a path of, I'm just going to pick up the phone. And then, you know, our human nature is such that our closest people that we trust look, reflect us, right? Right. And it's comfortable because you already trust this person, know this person. So you can stand, stand behind your recommendation in a way that's not going to reflect poorly on you. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and so what, what we did at the board list was we said, hey, look, okay, we understand that, that that's how things work, but we're going to do two things. We're going to, one, ask ask these um, opinion leaders, right? So the people that, that are in these positions to be um, asked, who do you recommend for a board, right? Mm-hmm. Those CEOs and board members. We went out to them, and a lot of them are men, right? Mm-hmm. And we said, hey, Tell us about two, three, four, five great women that you know for boards. So <laughs> notice the subtlety in that question. We didn't just say, who do you recommend for boards, right. right? We specifically said, tell us about women that you know who are great for boards. And they gave us lots and lots of names. Going back to that pipeline question again. Isn't that tell interesting? Us- yeah. But you have to understand the psychology and then give people the specific direction point them in the direction that you want them to go in Mm -hmm. right and because i i honestly believe it's not an intentional exclusion right but that it's really you didn't ask (laughs) so right all right so we're going to ask so that's the first thing we do is ask people specifically tell us about great women you know and then number two is spending a lot of time talking to ceos and board members saying hey if you have an open board seat you should consider a woman Mm -hmm. that's it we're not saying you should put a woman on your board. We're not saying you should have a quota. We're saying you should consider women. And by the way, 
we have a resource here of thousands of women who have been endorsed by people like you. Mm -hmm. And you can see who endorsed them. So you can feel comfortable that, oh, that person who endorsed them, they know what they're talking about. They understand how important and complex this job is. And so I can feel comfortable with the people that they have nominated and say, you know, that's an interesting person. I should I should look into that. And we've been having a lot of success with that. It's mm -hmm. just telling people, come look, right? So you think it's a lack of awareness and knowledge, I guess, in a certain way of who would you even consider if you were led to think about that as an option of think about the option of having a woman on the board. So you yeah, think that's what's behind it? Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a problem when of awareness of not of lack of knowledge, but it's also a problem of you have to give people very concrete, doable actions that they can take to get the result that you're hoping for. Mm -hmm. Because if we just sat here saying, well, there's all this data that suggests that more women on boards increases corporate performance. And it's so great. And there's women on board represented. We should have more women on boards. If we just left it at that and didn't give people specific actions or bite-sized steps that they could take changes of behavior, we're not going to see a change in result. Mm -hmm. So the board list is really about changing not only perception because I, the, the perception I think in some great ways, it, I think most people agree, yeah, it's great to have women on boards. Yeah, we want more women on board. Sure, right? The difference that that we're seeing in what we're doing and what we're driving to is in having those very concrete actions as changes in your behavior. So understanding the behavior and how that leads to a result mm -hmm. And saying, okay, if we change the behavior in this way, how do we get a different result? Mm -hmm. And giving people something very um, digestible that they can do, like trying to tackle the big problem of gender representation. And I'm just one CEO, right? How am I going <laughs> to do that? Right? right that right. it can't it can't live there. It has to be like here, you know. Hey, CEO, do you know a couple women that are great? Sure, yeah. Here's some names, right? Hey, do you have a board seat open? I do. Well. Have you thought about putting a woman on a board? Check check out our database. We have a great list of nominated women. Well, and we're such creatures of habit that people yeah. lapse into what they have habitually always done. And if no one presents them with, as you said, an easily, uh, slightly and easily modified bit of behavior that would change your direction when that question comes up, then there's no reason to change it because nothing's challenging it. You can always find great qualified people for the board, just not necessarily with, with any diversity in it. Yeah, that's so, that's so true as far as this idea of a comfort level. Like we get into a comfort level, comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. Either with our network and feeling comfortable with it mm -hmm. and not reaching beyond what we already know or in our daily behaviors, like, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable where we are, Right. And it's like, if, if you want to see a different result, you can't keep doing the things that you were doing before. There has to be a change in the input to get a change in the output. Mm -hmm. 
So what do you think is the impact of the work that you're doing now? What, what, what have you seen in terms of the constituency of boards and, and the kind of response you're getting from boards that are looking for new members? So the response has been amazing. We've only been around now for just about two years, a little under two years. And we have had influence on um, over 380 uh, board seats that have been filled. And when I'm talking about influence, I mean either they that company has come to us and used us as a resource in their search or um, – We've directly placed somebody or a, a woman who is a candidate within the board list community has been placed into that board seat. So if you think about the number of um, corporate board seats that are filled in the year in the U.S., it's probably in the low thousands, if not in the hundreds. So for us to have that many um have had influence in that many seats is a really, really promising sign. I know that the top um, executive placement firms that work on board recruiting, they maybe do a few hundred uh, board placements a year themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, us kind of coming out of nowhere and being this very young, scrappy organization, (laughs) um, I'm really excited about the impact that we've had and, um, and, you know, really seeing the response that we get, you know, every day we reach out um, in particular to private companies um, when we hear that uh, they have that they've um, closed a round of funding, which is um, many times a, a, a turning point when a company might be adding a board member. Mm-hmm. We'll reach out to those CEOs and, and say, hey, you know, are you expanding your board? Um, you should come check out the board list um, to look for qualified candidates. The response we get is so heartening. Mm. Male and female CEOs, and we're not just talking about females. I'm talking mostly males here, are are so excited. Like, yes, I've heard about the board list. I think this is great. I'm so excited to see this database of incredibly accomplished, talented women. I mean, it's a treasure trove. <laughs> like, yeah. My talent recruiting perspective is a treasure trove of people who are so talented um, and in some ways very underutilized, Mm -hmm. right? Well, and and, and you're providing kind of a central place where people can go and look at uh, candidates who are vetted and who are, um, rather than having to go through an arduous kind of search process with perhaps a, a more limited number of candidates, there's an opportunity to at least look at this larger pool of, of uh, great candidates that you have available. Yeah. And I think it's, 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 it speaks a lot to, I think the, the, the work as far as getting consciousness uh, raised generally about women on boards, women in leadership, You know, many, many organizations and individuals have been doing amazing work in this area. And all of this work together is having an impact. It is making a difference. We might not see the change in the in the raw numbers as fast as we want, but it's happening. It's 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 
it's really starting to happen. And I see it in every day, the conversations that I have, particularly with male CEOs and board members where they're like, absolutely, I want awesome women. Like, (laughs) I, I would be stupid to not, you know, look for talented women, right? And that's encouraging here, especially in the current climate where some very uh, visible leaders are uh, perhaps not considering women with with as much uh, clarity and and intelligence. So that's a that's a great thing to hear. There's one thing I wonder about the impact of this that you know you mentioned early on that you saw a difference between how women are treated within organizations with respect to promotions. So women get the "you're not ready yet." kind of response, whereas men tend to tend to hear, you've shown a lot of promise and we want to give you a new challenge. How do you think that that um, this higher visibility of women in a, in a very senior and significant role as a board member might influence that? I think, one, there's, there's visibility and role modeling, right? So there's a lot more role modeling for men. So we we have different mental models of what a male leader looks like or male accomplishment looks like. So we can kind of see how this guy might fit into this mental model we have of this successful male type person, right? Mm-hmm. And the more successful and diverse, and I mean diverse by, you know, by their experience or their style the and as well as all of the you know kind of demographically diverse categories of race, um, etc. The more, but the more role models we see of women of different accomplishment, you know, where they don't all follow the same kind of playbook and look the same and have done all the same things. You know, it, once you see that there's lots of different styles and models of success, of female success. Then I think it becomes I think it get it becomes um, less less uh, less about okay you have to you have to actually do that job right in order to get promoted it's like this whole thing about saying you have promise is because I can project what that person looks like into the bigger role right mm-hmm. I think it's a visibility thing and a lack of role modeling thing in some ways to say that of women like I can't see you in it. Oh, well, of course you can't because there hasn't been a woman in that role. There's <laughs> right. only been men, right? right? Yeah. Um, so I think, number one, the role modeling part is huge. So the more successful women leaders we see at the top levels makes an impact. But also on a very practical matter, once those women are in positions of influence and are asking the questions, right, to say, do we have different standards that we hold men and women to? Because mm-hmm. I've had that experience. And now I can turn around if I'm if I'm the CEO or the board member and say, hey, are you are you company X comfortable that this is not happening here? Because I've seen it in every other company I've worked in. Right. Right. And once you've experienced it and you can name it and call it out. I think change will also happen. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for someone who's been there and can now bring that. That's another aspect of the unique perspective that a woman might bring to a company. I'm really interested to hear about how you personally have been affected by this 
process, this journey you've been on and the work that you're doing now, how, how is this a reflection of what's important to you in your work? And, and has that evolved over time or is this pretty much how you, how you began? You know, I think, I think it's evolved over time, certainly. Um, and I think when I, when I was younger, I was more idealistic (laughs) (laughs) that, Oh, everything is fair. And, you know, and the more experience that I took on in life and in career, the more I would see that, no, there's some patterns here that are distinctly and, uh, not fair from, from the get go. Um, and I think that me as an individual, I've always been very mission driven as, as a kid, I was always interested in politics. I worked in politics for a while. I went to law school because I thought I was going to change the world. And I've always been very passionate about, um, about making change. And, and one of the things that I have always been very interested in is the idea of economic empowerment. How do we address huge societal issues like poverty, right? Mm-hmm. Like differences in education. So much of it, I think, stems from this notion of are we economically empowering people? So this has been something that's that's always been uh, a passion of mine personally. And it morphed in the last few years for me to really realize, you know, as as go women in the workforce, there goes our economic, a lot of our economic empowerment, right? In what way? That we have the wage gap, right? We have, and, you know, when we talk about the wage gap, it's usually framed in the context of are women getting paid the same for the same job as men? Right. And that is a big component of the wage gap. But I think there is, and there's a huge difference in opportunity that contributes to the wage gap because there's, you know, okay, if women are not getting promoted and men are, what comes with a promotion? Normally a raise, right? Right. Um, So if we look at the, at the overall numbers of, of women who are represented in senior management, executive levels and boards where a huge amount of the wage gap could uh, globally could be affected if they're not in those positions, if they're underrepresented to the tune of 90% male to 10% male or worse, then we have a huge economic empowerment problem, right? Um, so, so I think that this work with the board list really appealed to me as, as an area to really dive into personally because of that because of the opportunity to really affect change in this way in in bringing in bringing more power behind the dollars um and i think that that is a huge opportunity for our society mm-hmm. yeah i agree I, I mean i've worked in some settings i've done some work in south africa and and there, for example, even the smallest contribution from an entrepreneurial venture makes a huge difference economically. And it's, it's empowering, not just for the person who's the entrepreneur, but for the whole family. And we may not be operating on this scale often, but, um, it's, it certainly is 
something that applies to us as well. When, when women are empowered economically, it shifts the family. It shifts the capability and the opportunities for everyone. Yeah. And I think, you know, for women entrepreneurs, especially, I really believe in the power of entrepreneurship to change society Mm -hmm. because the more businesses we create, the more jobs we create, the more we add to the tax base to support the entire society. I mean, all these things are so important. And one of the things, so I worked, I worked at Intuit, which is, um, you know, the makers of QuickBooks, Mm -hmm. um, probably one of the most commonly used pieces of software for small business in America worldwide. Um, But the reason why I really was passionate about my work there is because I could really see the difference of if I can help that entrepreneur get to their business, right, to not have to worry about how do they set up payroll, (laughs) how do they set up their (laughs) accounting system and, and focus on what they're really good at, and and building great businesses that will in turn hire people and and spread that success um, to many. One entrepreneur e- equals the su- potential success of hundreds, thousands, potentially millions of people. Hmm. Well, and uh, yeah, you've certainly um, into it, and and that product have certainly uh, saved the bacon of a lot of entrepreneurs who are absolutely ho- hoping to not focus on the on the the mechanics of that, but rather on what they're passionate about in their business. So, are are you finding that as you're, I, I mean, are you finding this work qualitatively different in some ways from the the tech oriented work that you've done before? And and how is that? What kind of effect is that having? If if that is the case, um. So I think the board list is very technology driven. Mm-hmm. So the solution that we've built to this problem is a very technology focused one, which is to create this platform where we can collect and and sort and 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 uh, and share these recommend recommendations Mm -hmm. from um, corporate leaders and it's very technology heavy Mm -hmm. in that way how my role my my role as both the VP of product and as the COO and actually running the day-to-day of the board list um, it's 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 a bit more expansive beyond the technology product but but then again I, I've always felt like in every role that I've had as a product person in technology companies that, that I'm solving problems for users and customers and I'm using insights gleaned from research and uh, how I understand people's psychology, et cetera, to make um, products that will, um, that will help. Mm-hmm. And I've always believe that the products may be technology and a lot of times they're not, they have nothing to do, you know, that technology makes things better and easier, Mm -hmm. that the product itself is not always, is not always lines of code, that the product in, in the sense of the board list, it's, it's, 
there is a technology product, but the product you could also think about, it's this collection of recommendations. It's all of this shared wisdom. That's right. the product. Right. Right. So, so in that way, um, in that way, there's, there's a lot of similarities, um, even in the work that I've done where, you know, I was purely focused on the software product where I, I spend a lot of my time thinking about the product as so much beyond and that software or whatever we're building technology wise, it's supporting something that's a, the greater point of mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and the impact of the work that you've done has been, I mean, I love the way that you've spoken about you're focusing on solving problems for customers and, and really um, that's your focus rather than creating a platform or, or solving some kind of programming problem. It's really about uh, where your focus is. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering in this work that you've done, I mean, you've, you've done some really um, high level and wide ranging work in a number of companies and now at the board list, how, how would you answer this question? If someone came to you and said, well, I, I see you having impact in your career. I see you making a difference in a really important way. And, and I would like to do that. I would like to, to do that myself. What kind of advice or uh, would you give or insight would you share with someone who's, who's looking at that? I think, to have impact, you have to really um, dive into what is what is the area that you're working on? What is the problem that you're trying to solve? Or who are you trying to help? And impact is such an interesting concept because you can have outsized impact for one or a few people where you completely change their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really meaningful kind of impact. And then there's the kind of impact where, you know, you're, you're impacting at scale millions or billions of people, but in a light, more lightweight way. You know, for example, you're giving people entertainment or, um, or something like that. And I think both types of impact are really important and, and, um, and not, exclusive of one another but I think the first point is for a person who wants to have impact is to really take a look inside and say you know what kind of impact is going to be meaningful to me is it going to be meaningful if I feel like I turned around one person's life in an enormous way um is that going to feel like impact for me or is or do I want something that's in the hands of millions or billions of people and, you know, there's, you know, for mission driven people, I think there's the ideal of, well, could I do both? <laughs> right, <laughs> could I, right. Could I, in a very deep way, you know, change people's lives fundamentally and billions of them, too. And that's great, too. Um, but I would say I would say it's it's good starting point to look inward first and say, what kind of impact am I really talking about that's going to feel meaningful to me? And then. And then to really spend your time accordingly, right? And going very deeply into the area that you're trying to have impact in, really trying to understand the root causes of problems, um, really trying to understand the context and the mindset of 
the people that are impacted in that area because, look, at the end of the day, we know our own experience and we know what how what's going on inside our own brains and our own personal histories. We don't know a lot about how other people see the world as much as we like to think we do. We don't. Mm-hmm. We have to stop and we have to talk to people and and understand them and and try to understand their context and where they're coming from that's where we'll see opportunities yeah you make a really great point about um you know let's talk to the people that we're actually trying to help or to offer something to and really understand in a deep way what their concerns are so you can do that in a in a way that's actually going to be helpful as opposed to what you might believe from your perspective right i mean this was when I worked at Intuit, which is a, a company that's really well known for um, understanding customers and spending time with customers. But it was interesting. I went there to work on building payroll products for small businesses. Mm-hmm. And I had a small business myself before I went to work there. And I had a payroll, so I, I knew what that was like. And I was I was stunned and amazed by this team I was working with of 20 something people, none of whom had ever had a business or run a payroll. It was like, this is going to be really hard for us to really get what's hard about it. (laughs) Um, Because at the end of the day, if you haven't actually done it before, it's, there's a lot to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I did there was I set up a program where we found a bunch of our small business customers who were going to be setting up payroll. And we said, hey, look, can we come work for you for the day trying to set up your payroll for you? Hmm. Like for real, not theoretical, not right. you know, not fake, but real. So we could really understand the problems. And I think that was a very eye-opening experience for people who hadn't done that before. Mm-hmm. And then when we had conversations afterward about when we were trying to make decisions like, is this feature important? Is it a big deal if this thing doesn't work that well, right? Because we don't have unlimited time or money to fix everything. Right. Those conversations became very different because we had a shared point that we were coming from. Like, well, remember when we went to work on that company's payroll and, and we had that situation come up and wow, that really sucked. <laughs> like, right. That was a really big problem. So, Yeah. yeah. It's always eye-opening to have these kinds of conversations. I, I think no matter what the the product is that you're working on or the, the service that you're working on, it's really crucial to get in there and actually talk to people that are affected by it. That's a... Yeah. It's a great perspective. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for sharing what you have today. I know that um, your insights into how the board selection process works has been uh, so interesting to hear about. And I'm, I'm heartened to hear that you don't feel that it's, it's a ingrained attitudinal problem as much as it is a, a just a, an awareness type of situation. So thank you for for sharing that. And uh, I so appreciate hearing your perspectives on the, on your own career today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a great conversation. So if, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to, to reach you or to reach out to um, you at the board list? Uh, you can find us online at theboardlist.com. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Leslie. I so appreciate your um, 
bringing these things to light and and really shifting behavior in a very practical way. Uh, I think it's uh, it's really powerful, and I'm I'm excited to see what the the longer term outcome is. I am too. (laughs) (laughs) So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.